0: In Louisiana, when we lived there, in the town in which we lived, there was an incredible steakhouse. It was called Young's Steakhouse. It was actually had quite a bit of renown in the area, in the north, you know, north of New Orleans and all of that, that area. But what was so unique about Young's was that they did absolutely no advertising. There were no billboards. I don't believe they were even listed in in the telephone book. I know they weren't in the yellow pages. There was no sign on their building. It was just an indescript building that sat right on the side of one of the main drags that went through town, and unless you knew what it is, you just drove right by it. I remember somebody telling me we were, we were visiting this city before we moved there, and someone said, oh, you got to go to Young's. It's a great place. And we never found it. And unless somebody told you where it was, unless somebody shared about the location, you didn't know where it was. And yet it was always busy. No matter what time you went there, if they were open, there was a line to get in. There were cars in the parking lot that they had and a parking lot across the street. Their their steaks, their food were phenomenal. I remember going there and Cindy and I finally found out where the place was. And we went there, and we went there with a couple of friends. And when you got there for a while, we had to stand outside. And in Louisiana, standing outside, it was summertime, Is not a lot of fun. I just remember being hot and humid and sticky and, and you know, sweating and you know, not really feeling particularly hungry as you're standing out in that heat and humidity and just feeling kind of, yeah, why are we here? But Young's did something very interesting. Not only did they advertise, but they understood that a lot of people were going to be there. And so before you got to the dining room, before you were taken in to be and to enjoy what you were really there for, the, the meal, they had a waiting area. And in that waiting area, it was air-conditioned and, air and there were little tables that were there and you could kind of sit around the tables on little bar stools. And while you were sitting there, you could get something to drink. You could, you could they had little snacks that you would enjoy and you would kind of eat them. They had, I think these little, little crackers that had, anyway, it was just kind of a nice place To wait out, it was a lot better than being outside. It was a lot better than the heat and humidity and uncomfortableness of waiting on the outside. But it was an in-between kind of thing. No one said, oh, I can't wait to get to Young's in order to enjoy the waiting area. It was a place of conversation. But ultimately, it was a place to wait. For what you were really looking forward to. It was a nice place. But it's not what you were ultimately aiming for. Last week we began to talk about heaven. We began to talk about eternity. And as we talked about that we said there is a problem that exists within christendom within the church today and that is that we misunderstand what the scripture has to say about what eternity is all about we touched on the fact in fact several times we touched on the fact that the scripture does not teach that the purpose of my life of my salvation is that so when i die i can go to heaven that's not what scripture teaches In fact, usually what we think about heaven is as sort of this, we mentioned it, kind of ethereal, um, non-physical place, just spiritual, is not what scripture teaches at all. In fact, what Scripture teaches and what it declares so clearly is that you and I are God's creation. We are, yes, part immaterial and part material, and it's not that sort of platonic sense where I need to get rid of the physical so that my spiritual can glow and be free. Not at all. What God says is I'm about redeeming people to make them part of this new creation that I'm bringing about Eternity is not about us going to heaven. Eternity is about God recreating it all out of what he does when he cleanses it, as Peter talks about, with fire. He cleanses what is. He then recreates it, not out of nothing, but out of what was there. And we get to live not with us in heaven, but the scripture says that heaven, the new Jerusalem, the very dwelling place of God, comes. And dwells among us. We are part, if we know Jesus Christ as our personal savior, we are the initiation of that new creation. We are new creatures in Christ. God is working on the inner self. Yes, our character, our attitudes, our thoughts, our choices. God is working on that as part of his new creation. But we look forward to that time when he will make it all right. And not only will I stand before him right in terms of who I am on the inside, forgiven and cleansed and redeemed, But the scripture says that my body is recreated to be an immortal body, a physically immortal body living in a new heaven and a new earth. That's what Revelation talks about when we come to Revelation chapter 21. That's what Peter talks about when he says that God will be remaking everything. That's what God's word says we are aiming towards. But there's a problem. The problem is God has not recreated everything already. That takes place when he returns. But the problem is Christ hasn't returned yet. Christ hasn't come to remake the heavens and the earth. And so what happens now when I die? Where do I go? What, what happens? All of us here, I, I don't care who you are. You know, you're, you're old enough to be in this part of the church. You understand that we've had relatives. We've had friends that were followers of Christ to close their eyes on this side of the veil of death and open their eyes on the other side. What's that like? What does the scripture say? What's it all about? And you see, like Young's Restaurant, what we need to do is to understand that all believers, alive or departed, this side of the veil or that side of the veil, this side of death or that side of the death, we are awaiting, we are in a waiting period, waiting for God's final consummation. When God remakes it all, we do so with a confident hope. Now, as we think about that, we need to understand something. Like all of creation, heaven now, where we go when we die where we go when we move from this side of that veil to the other side of that veil like all of creation heaven now exists between the ascension Jesus was resurrected Jesus received his new body a body that we will in similar fashion receive when Christ returns and when that happened the scripture says that the disciples as they watched in the beginning of acts saw Jesus going into heaven and as they did that the Angels proclaimed these words. This same Jesus, the Jesus you knew, the Jesus who was physical after his resurrection, the Jesus who ate fish and who could be touched by by a, a doubting Thomas, who could walk with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who could prepare a breakfast for them as they finished a long day of fishing. This same Jesus, he's gonna return. But what's it like in between? When Jesus went to heaven, what was that like? What does scriptures scripture say? What does the word proclaim? Well, when you look at it, we need to understand this, and then we're going to develop it over the next several minutes. Heaven now, where my mother and father are, where my daughter is, where my brothers are, where my sister-in-laws are, heaven now is a real place. With real people. But who aren't in the eternalness of what it will ultimately be. Like us. Like the Lord. They are looking forward to a future restoration. When all will be created, recreated. Now the difference between my mother and father and Jesus is Jesus has already received his glorified body. They're still waiting. And so we need to take a look at that a little bit. And we need to take a look at what scripture says because beloved we really have this messed up. We really have this kind of all oh, backwards. That Platonism that says that the body is bad, that material is bad and spiritual is good, has so influenced our thinking about heaven that we fail to understand what God's word has to say. In the Hebrew mindset, you were not better when you were absent from the body. The idea was that we are aiming ultimately to be a new creation with a new body living eternally with God. So what's heaven like now? What does scripture have to say? Well, heaven now is a created realm where God and his heavenly creatures dwell together. There are a number of places in scripture where you see what heaven is like right now. You can go to Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite passages in all of the scripture, where Isaiah sees the throne room of God, and he sees the cherubim, and he hears the holy, holy, holy of God being sung over and over through eternity. And he's interacting with those that are there. And that's a heaven that exists now. That's heaven now. We can go to Revelation and we can begin in chapter four and different glimpses that we get in that book of what heaven is like and what it's like now where our loved ones and those that we care for, what they are like, what it is like now. And what it is like, it's a place that God created where the heavenly beings dwell. Well, there are angels there are cherubim, and there are seraphim, and there are archangels, and there are all those things that the scripture says God created at the very beginning. And yes, it is a place where those who have departed from this life and who are followers of Christ are now living. Now, a couple things about it. Presently, God's dwelling place is separate us from us. Being imperceptible. You can't see it. You can't see heaven unless God gives you a special ability to see. But every so often, he allows people to have a glimpse of heaven. Now, I want to be very careful here. I'm not talking about near-death experiences. I'm not talking about the things that people, when they say they've died and come back and say, this is what it is like. I don't know whether or not that's real or not. But what I do know is real is what God's word has to say. And God's word says that there is a place called heaven. There is a place where God dwells that we're unable to perceive. We can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't hear it. But it is there. It may be that it's just kind of like in another dimension or maybe that it's beyond our universe. We don't really know, but we know that it exists and it's the place where God dwells. Second thing we know is this. A physically resurrected Jesus ascended to heaven and that's where he's waiting for his return and that's very, very Important, Because heaven is not just a spiritual realm. Otherwise, a resurrected Jesus could not be there. Other, a, otherwise, a physically resurrected Jesus could not be in that place. But as the disciples were looking up, and as they were watching in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, they're told, this same Jesus this physical one who is now in heaven, that same Jesus will return. And so as you begin to look at heaven, as you begin to, and we'll see more about this as we go along, like earth, heaven is a physically created realm awaiting a remaking. Now, what that physicality is, we're not sure, but there are things that go on in heaven. People speak, people touch, people wave palms, people do all kinds of things like that. And yes, some of it may be symbolic. But when you begin to read about all of it, there seems to be in heaven, those who are in heaven, like the angels, like Jesus, like those that have died here and are there, there is some form of physicality, some form of form that exists. And what we need to understand most of all about that waiting heaven is this. Heaven now is a wonderful but temporary place where departed saints await their resurrection. It's wonderful. How do I know that? Paul says it. He says it this way in Philippians chapter 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Paul is saying in Philippians, I'm about to stand before Caesar. I don't know what he's going to choose. He could choose to kill me. He could choose to kill me for my stance on Christ, or he could let me live. And I'm not sure which one to choose because I understand something. If I stay, there is labor for me to do. There is work for me to do. And that work was incredible. It was the work, of Paul's continuing missionary work. It was the work of him spreading the gospel into new and different areas. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart, and notice the phrase, and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, what's interesting in the Greek, the Greek uses what we would consider to be improper English grammar. Literally, in the Greek, it says it's much more better. It's much more better. The translators do it well. It's far better. And by the way, I want you to notice something. There's no purgatory here. For those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, when we close our eyes on this earth, we open them not in a place where we pay for the sins that we've committed on earth or the things we've done wrong. That was done in Christ. That was fully paid in Christ. There is, in Scripture, no such thing as purgatory. You cannot find it. It's based on the theology that says Christ's death makes me capable of receiving salvation. But then I must do the work in order to earn it. And if I've done enough, then I go to heaven. But what if I haven't done enough? And the idea was that purgatory was a way to pay that off. Until I paid it up. It could go to heaven. You don't find that in scripture. In fact, just the opposite. When Jesus was hanging with the cro- on the cross and, and the thief cried out and said, Lord, today, remember me. Jesus didn't say, okay, after a while, once you've paid off all of this stuff you've done, then. No, Jesus says this, what? When? Today you will be with me in paradise. In John chapter 14, one and following, where where John is is describing what Jesus says to the disciples. And he says to them, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and I will take you there. I'm going to take you to be with me. Paul says, we depart from this life. We are with Christ. And we enjoy his presence. What we live now by faith, the moment we close our eyes on death, we then will live by sight. That's the promise of Scripture, that's the certainty of Scripture. Now, that's a place of waiting, but it's a place of Christ's presence. It's a place where my sins are gone and, and that which, which drags me down, my, my fallenness, my flesh, not this, but the flesh principle that lives inside me, that bent to rebel and disobey God. That's done away with. And I wait till the Lord returns again and I receive that new body That 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. In that new creation. With a new heaven. A new Jerusalem. Dwelling among men. That's God's promise. No believer has to fear death. No believer has to fear that if I die. Somehow I'll have to face some time of suffering. Or some time of difficulty that simply is not taught in scripture. It is built on dogma, not on the Bible. But beyond that, beyond the fact that there is a waiting place, scripture tells us a little about it. It talks about those people that are there and those waiting in heaven are real people who are aware of God's work. One of the things that sometimes you'll hear is that when somebody dies, that there's soul sleep. And scripture sometimes talks about death as sleeping. But what it does that, it's not talking about the, the, the person who I am. It's not talking about the immaterial part of me. It's talking about the body. The body looks like it's resting. But who I am, the person I am, will continue for eternity. You see that in a number of different places. Those in heaven now do not sleep. They are conscious persons with memories and awareness. They know who they are. They know where they've been. They know their life. They know, in fact, they probably remember even better than we do. One of the things that I'm I'm getting used to as I am in my 60s and getting older is I'll have my kids come up and they'll say, Dad, do you remember when? And I'll go, no. But there will come a time when we will remember. Scripture talks about that so many different places. One of them is in Luke chapter 9, verses 29 through 31. As it's talking about Jesus and the transfiguration, when he is is about to show himself in all of his glory. And in that moment, there are two that appear to him, Moses and Elijah. And I want you to notice what it says about them. As he was praying, that's Jesus, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. This is the only time in all of Jesus's earthly ministry where his humanity did not cloud over or did not cover his glory. And then it says two men, Moses and Elijah. Now, you understand, they died. Moses would have died about 1,200 years before this. Elijah would have died about 800 years before this. Have you ever read the actual uh, Christmas Carol by Dickens? It begins by, by, like this. Marley was dead. To begin with. Beloved. Moses and Elijah are dead. At least in an earthly sense. But Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor. Talking with Jesus. Interacting. Real people. Communicating. Interacting. Discussing. And notice what it says. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. They knew what was going on. They knew a sense of God's purpose and plan. They knew that Jesus was involved in this ministry. And and it may have been that God told them that on their way down. Again, kind of like it's a wonderful life where Clarence gets to see, you know, the life of whatever his name is to to understand. That might have happened, but it's more likely they they just had a sense of what's going on, that, that those in heaven understand God's work. They see it. The angels see it. The angels watch. The angels look in in wonder and amazement at what God is doing. And it appears that so did Moses and Elijah. Another passage that's interesting, and this is the one that that Eric read. It's found in Revelation chapter 6. And as you're listening to that, listen to the interaction. This is in the now heaven. This is in the waiting heaven. This is waiting for God to, to come and to recreate everything in Revelation chapter 21. And it says that when the seventh, when the fifth seal, I'm sorry, the fifth seal was open, I saw under the altar the souls. Now you look there and say, see, there's no physicality there. It was just their souls. No, the word say the word for, for, A person in Greek is the word soul. It doesn't just mean the immaterial part. It means the whole person. So John is saying, I saw the persons, those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Now notice what they did. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true? Until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood, they know what's going on. They're communicating. They're talking. They're thinking. They're interacting. They're real people. People in heaven, my father and my mother and my brother and and those that I've loved and those that have gone on. Yes, they're aware of what God is doing. They're real people, not spirits just kind of floating around in nothingness. Like angels, God's word shows us that they observe God's work and are amazed and at times overwhelmed. Now, how much they know? I don't know. Does my mother know everything that I do? Oh, I hope not. But the sense that God is at work, that God is doing That God is involved. One of the most amazing passages, and I was reading through Revelation several times this week, and in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1, as the seal is broken, it says this, and there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Just being overwhelmed by the judgment that's about to come. Overwhelmed by what God is about to do. And an awareness of what's taking place. Another interesting passage that I don't have up here. We don't have time to really look at a whole lot. But it's found in the Gospel of Luke. As Luke is talking about... Just need to look. As Luke is, is talking about those that come to know him in Luke chapter 15. And the scripture says there, and it's two interesting phrases. The first phrase is this: that when someone comes to know the Lord as Savior, it says that the heavens rejoice. But then a little while later, as you continue to read through, it says this: they rejoice. In the presence of the angels. Those in heaven have a sense of what what God is doing. They're they're aware of it. They're excited. They're, They're thrilled. as people come to know Christ. There's an excitement in heaven. There's a thrill and an enjoyment of what God is doing. But as you read there in Revelation... We understand that some are going to say but wait a minute if they know what's going on doesn't that mean there might be some sadness doesn't that mean there might be some concern about what's happening in the life of those they they love and the answer is yeah now, it's not the kind of weight that we feel they understand what God is going on, but understand that all of the tears, all of the sadness isn't wiped away until Revelation 21.4, when God remakes everything. But those in heaven are aware of what's going on. When they see God's judgment, there is, there is sadness. When they see people coming to, to Christ, there is rejoicing. But remember, it is so much more better than what we know here. And then finally, and this is one I think a lot of people react to, those in heaven now appear to have some kind of substance and form. In Revelation 6, it talks about them wearing robes. And it talks about later of them, them, you know, waving palms in front of, of God. And I understand that some of that is probably metaphorical. It's probably images. But just over and over and over again. Now, what kind of form that is, what kind of substance, I don't know. It's not there permanent Bodies That comes when Christ comes and returns and remakes everything. But there's some kind of form. Some kind of interaction. And then finally, those waiting in heaven are in communion with God and with one another. That's the greatest part of it. There's an amazing song that's kind of been going on in my head Uh, all this week. And the phrase of it is something like this, that let me value the giver more than the given. Let me value the savior more than being saved. Let me value the healer more than being healed. And for those that close their eyes on this side of eternity and open their eyes on that side, the greatest wonder of all is that they are in perfect communion with God and with one another. When you read through, those in heaven are with Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Those who are in heaven are with one another. As you read about those those saints that are under the throne of God, they are interacting with one voice they cry out. Those who are in heaven are able to communicate with God. If you you have your Bibles, turn back there again to that that Revelation passage in Revelation chapter 6. When it talks about the fact that they are there and they are under the the throne room of God. And then in verse 10, it says they called out in a loud voice. They commune with God. They communicate with God. They're speaking with God. And those that are in heaven make requests to him. Addressing their concerns. Or in other words, those in heaven pray. Now I want to be careful here. When you read Revelation chapter 6, you see those who have departed praying. But nowhere in Scripture, let me say that again, nowhere in Scripture. Let me say it one more time. Nowhere in Scripture are we ever called upon to pray to the saints? That's not biblical. In fact, in a sense, it's kind of foolish. One of the first passages I ever studied was Hebrews chapter 10 to preach on it. And one of the most amazing things about Hebrews chapter 10 is that the writer of Hebrews says this, that you and I have a living way in which we can come with confidence into the very presence, into the very holy place of God. You and I can go directly to the Father. You and I can go directly to God himself, and we can make our requests, and we can make our needs, and we can make our concerns, and we can pour out our heart, and we can pour out our lives, and we can pull out our cons- pour out our concerns to God himself. Why would I want a mediator? It's like going to a restaurant that my father owns, and I have a problem. I have a concern. I'm not going to one of the other customers to get it resolved. Why would I? When I can go directly to dad. When we think about those in heaven, Don't think about spirits kind of floating around with harps and clouds and all the rest. Think about real people with some kind of form waiting for their ultimate form. Being involved in what God is doing, interacting with others, kind of like that waiting room for the restaurant. It's not what I'm ultimately looking forward to. But it's a lot better than anything else. A place of enjoyment, a place of fellowship, a place of interacting. As we end, I want to turn to a passage that is just a page or so back from the passage that Eric read. It's found in Revelation chapter 5. John is standing in heaven, in the heaven now. And he's seeing what is going on as they are waiting for the one who would come and would break the seals and would bring about that end time, would make all things right. And John cries out and there's a concern that no one can break the seals. Finally, the lamb steps forward. In verse 8 of Revelation chapter 5, John wrote this. And we had taken it. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding their golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they began to sing. Now that's not the totality of heaven now or in eternity. But can you imagine? I mean, this morning when we were singing, it seemed kind of stilted, didn't it? I don't know if we're cold or we're, you know, sick of winter or whatever it is. But can you imagine being in heaven, seeing the very presence of Christ himself, and suddenly hearing that that which you've been waiting for is about to take place. And in the glory of all of the saints that have gathered so far, you begin to sing. I'll bet it won't be just a quiet little murmur but the singing continues and as you read there you go on and they begin to to proclaim you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals and 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 the believers that have gathered the 24 the representations of the church sing but then as you go down in chapter in verse 5 and I mean sorry verse 11 Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. All of a sudden to the saints, the angels join in. Multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes. And they're singing. I don't know about you, but that'd be a great place to be. But that doesn't end it. They begin to sing in their glory and in their wonder and what they know about God. But then as you continue to read down... And Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, and John says there's a third part that joins the chorus. He says, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth proclaiming the glory of God. Beloved, heaven's not a boring place with harps on clouds, and I happen to have harps here, I know, but it's a place of wonder, a place of Celebration. A place of rejoicing. A place of waiting. Knowing. That the time is coming. When God will make it all right. Heaven now. Is a real place. With real people. Who are really looking forward. To what God has planned. At his Second coming. Now, of course, the reality is that's not my experience unless I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Only those who know Christ can be certain that once I close my eyes here, I am in the presence of the Lord and things are much more better. As those that we love, Wait for that day when all will be made right. And then we will live eternally, not in heaven, but in a new creation. In the midst of a new heaven. With a new Jerusalem right here in our midst. In new bodies for all of eternity. Next week when we come back, we're going to talk about that new creation. We're going to talk about the week after that our new bodies. We're going to talk the week after that about what are we going to do in eternity? But the knowledge is now that God has promised that he will accomplish his task even if now we need to wait for a little while longer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what your word tells us about those that are in heaven Father, thank you that we can know that they are there and we can know that we can spend eternity with you based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have that relationship, that they would come and speak to somebody to be certain that they can know that eternity is theirs, that fellowship with you forever is theirs, that being a part of that new creation Can begin now and move into eternity. Father for those of us who know that. Who are certain of that. Remind us that this life is not the end. It's only the preparation. Remind us that we never have to fear death. Remind us that our sins are forgiven. And to be absent from the body is to be present with you. Remind us that we have the right to come before you directly and to know that you hear our prayers and that you accomplish your purposes. We pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.